always loved that song, and that's the choice of our guest presenter today. Kirsty McCall, and there's a guy that works down at the chip shop, swears he's Elvis. Dr. Anna Trapido is our guest today. She was trained as an anthropologist at King's College and as a chef at the Pruleith College of Food and Wine in South Africa. She works as a food writer and a broadcaster, and uh, she wrote the book and is renowned for the original book, the award-winning book, Hunger for Freedom, the Story of Food in the Life of Nelson Mandela. Dr. Anna Trapido, thank you so much for joining us. Hello. You know, Anna, I have to say, Kirsty McCall, didn't she die in a terrible boating accident uh, years back? She did, she did, and it just breaks my heart because, she, I mean, on so many levels, but she is my imaginary friend, <laughs> is that um, I long for Kirsty McCall to be my best friend, that she somehow, all of her songs managed to, just with such kind of gentle humor, she, she manages to combine heartache and humor. Every song is like a, a perfect little short story, um, yeah. that, um, and she's just so clever, so funny, so sad, so charming. And, you know, that she's also, I, I love that, you know, in her personal capacity, she is so politically progressive, you know, that, yeah. that she um, was always there with the free Cuba campaign mm. and the English anti-apartheid movement. And, you know, that this is, She's a real mensch, and it's just, she, yeah, she died in a horrible, horrible boating accident. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. just, it, it, as I say, this is my imaginary friend. That it, that song is my ringtone, and quite often I can't <laughs> answer the phone because I'm, I'm too busy thinking I'll just have one more verse before I'm I gonna, answer. I'm going to just check with Ndosh when she uh, called you whether that phone was just ringing and ringing and ringing. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, you know, I, I, this is definitely not the route I was going to take with this interview, but you've just raised something. So yesterday we played a song on the show and it had me in tears. Literally, mm. while the song was playing, I was in tears. Again today, there was a certain song that we played mm. and I, there were tears just streaming down my face. And I suppose it's like just when our emotions are close to the surface and grief, we have so much grief at the moment. But what it also talks to is how there are certain things in our world which which plug right in to the emotion. So music would be one of them. And I mm. suppose food is another one of them as well. You know, I think that food and music are very similar in that I, I suspect that they both engage with the same kind of subconscious um, primal parts of the brain that, um, you know, that, that, you know, I know much more about food than I do about music, but, you know, what posh people would call the Madeleine moment that, um, you know, you're walking past um, a biscuit factory and suddenly the smell of biscuits transports you to your primary school classroom. And it's a memory that's sort of dumped at the front of your brain. You know, it's not mm. bits, it's not interpreted through what happens subsequently. You are that five-year-old in that moment that um, I think that 
they have both food and mu- taste and smell and and sound have the capacity to kind of liberate parts of our memory that are more kind of grown-up conscious brains, um, maybe to protect ourselves, um, you know, keep in boxes marked don't touch. Yeah. So, it's funny that you, uh, you call it the Madeleine moment, and I had never, ever heard that term. What does the Madeleine moment mean? You know, it, it's, it's me being a bit kind of poncy and posh, is that, no, it's, um, it's you know, Proust, <laughs> Proust yeah. writes about um, this moment where, yeah. you know, that, that in in tasting a Madeleine biscuit, you know, those lovely little shell-shaped yes. biscuits that the French make, you know, that, that it allows you to be transported to, you know, in, in memory, yeah. in, in, a, in a very kind of 360 holistic way, you know, that it's not bits of memory it, it is a whole you are suddenly in that past moment and you know I think that you know I hope that what Hunger for Freedom my book does is that it it's not so much you know of course it's a biography and it's got the facts and those kinds of things but it also allowed those people I interviewed to to move beyond their conscious memory of those moments into the way it felt to be there um, because yeah. somehow in a taste you you are transported to the time rather than telling a story and you know often with people you know I don't know Mr. Catherada or Winnie Mandela or those kinds of people they have told the story of their lives so many times yeah. that they are almost remembering the retelling rather than than the actual experience. Um, so, so, okay, that's so interesting. gets you yeah. to, a, to a much more immediate contact with your past. So we talk about remembering the retelling, and there's this, there's this interesting, uh, I forget the name of the psychologist, who wrote about memory as not necessarily being um, the truth, mm. but memory as it... So, so what you have is you have... Um, the event that happened, which is like the wool. And then memory is the way you knit it. So you could be crocheting it. You could be knitting it. You could be dropping stitches as I would do and with great big holes, but then you would, you know, (laughs) (laughs) dependent on like what the way you would do it. So you you tell a different story each time with exactly the same wool. Is that, um, do you think that food does that as well? You know, I think that the thing about memory um, is often things are emotionally true, even if, you know, factually they they didn't necessarily happen. Um, And, you know, everybody's truth is different. Um, You know, everybody's... I don't know what you taste when you eat knickknacks, you know, that that your experience of that and mine... Flings. What do I taste when I eat flings is the question. (laughs) Apart yes, from exactly. cardboard. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that, that the, the, the validity of everybody's experience, you know, obviously, you know, there are, um, you, you can't damage other people's truth in, in your truth. But, you know, we don't ultimately know how other people's experience of, of the past was. But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, that, that if, 
if what a, you know what food does is food is almost invariably cooking and sharing food is a collective activity it's a thing mm. people do together um and you know especially south african food is often quite layered um so you know it, it it's not sort of the way that japanese food is one single taste you know sort of pure mm. taste that that you know what you've got is if you have a whole lot of people around a table you know they all have a different kind of perspective but you know that, that they're all eating out of out of one pot and that that with something like you know the the kind of astonishing generation to which Mandela belongs you know there are so many individuals within that yeah. um who add such astonishing individual details and and what you get when you look at their their life through food is a sense that, that, that they were a team, you know, yeah. that, that we've done such a lot of, with Mandela, um, sort of hagiography that, that sort of blurs everybody else into the background. And that's so not who he was, you know, this mm. is a team player um, and an astonishing team. Um, yeah. So I, I like to work with food because I think it allows one to see community and sharing and love and all of those things that, that bring everybody else back into the story. You know, um, I was reading an article that you wrote on um, the making of Mandela Day and what struck me, and I have to declare my interest actually, was that uh, you, you spoke about Nelson Mandela's pragmatism as that, that it, that he didn't necessarily see July the 18th as the most special day, but rather he saw March the 10th, which is in fact my birthday. So oh, that, really? that's me declaring my interest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was it about March the 10th that he felt and to which he attached um, sentimental significance? Look, I think, you know, he understands that, that July 18 is, a very useful political tool mm. that can be used for, you know, broader social upliftment. Um, but over and over again, you know, in the prison letters, what one sees is that he refers back to, to March 10th in his letters to Winnie Mandela. And he talks about March 10th as being the source of his strength and his kind of motivating force when he's feeling... Yeah, overwhelmed and demoralized and all those things that we all are at the moment. Mm. Um, and March 10th, other, you know, in addition to being your birthday, was the date uh, on which he and Winnie Mandela went on their first date. And for him, that's his sort of private moment, you know, that his birthday has been so sort of collectivized and publicized, if that, mm. you know, it's not a word, but you know what I mean, um, as a sort of broader um, tool for all of us. Um, March 10th was that source of personal strength um, that allowed him to pick himself up and start all over again when things seemed yeah, extremely mm. difficult, yeah. which they often were, you know, that... And, uh um, before we go into the next song, I have to ask you something really serious, and that is, um, you once swallowed a digital watch by mistake. I did, I did. I wouldn't it, recommend it. How did you do that, A, and B, did it go all the way? It did, it did, and it's <laughs> dreadful because then you have to have x-rays and then, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, then people have to poke around and, in your poo for weeks to come to check that. Because, I mean, swallowing a digital watch, the batteries can leak and you can die. I mean, it, it can be extremely dangerous. Um, I 
we were I was in a the back of a taxi with my brother as a small child and he is quite a lot littler than me and I put the watch in my mouth and said look look I'm swallowing it to to tease him mm. at which point we went over a speed bump and he said no, 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 and it hit me and I swallowed the watch um <laughs> and <laughs> so you have to go to hospital and and yeah there are x-rays and it's dreadful and then all the nurses come and say who's the one who swallowed the watch they all come into the waiting room to to, to see. like see <laughs> you might need one of those little badges watch swallower or something like that i mean yeah you <laughs> I, mean, I know, no, it's very shaming. Um, no, it's fabulous. That, um, <laughs> <laughs> I survived yeah. the watch. Yeah. We're talking to Dr. Anna Trapido. She's a food anthropologist, trained chef. She's also the author of the award-winning book, Hunger for Freedom, the story of food in the life of Nelson Mandela. And uh, we will be talking about things like umusha, one of my favorite meals of all time, uh, later when we talk to her guests as well. But uh, time for us to go into a second song. What is the choice of your second song, Paul Robeson? Um, well, I mean, Paul Robeson is just its almost impossible to imagine anybody who is more of a Renaissance man, isn't he? That he is, uh, you know, he's got a beautiful baritone voice. He was an actor. He was a football player. I mean, a professional yeah. football player. He was a political activist so he went and sang for you know welsh mine workers and you know during the um, spanish civil war and anyway so he is an astonishing individual that my father um who somehow only knew um sort of I don't know, struggle songs from the 1930s. Um, one of the songs he sang was, was this Paul Robeson song about Joe Hill. And it was only years later that I discovered what the real tune was because my dad knew all the words, but he couldn't keep the tune. Um, but Paul Robeson <laughs> Sounds like can. some of our listeners as well, who we yeah. love and adore. <laughs> Let's uh, hear it for now. The tide says he like the appropriate song to be playing now and that's the choice of our guest presenter Dr. Anna Trapido. She was trained as an anthropologist at King's College in Cambridge also as a chef at the Prue Leith College of Food and Wine. She works as a food writer and a broadcaster. She has um, written a series of books. She is renowned for having swallowed a digital watch by mistake as a child and uh, I think to have that on your CV is something that really does look quite closely at what it means to be a child and to play around and then the next thing you have to poop it out at the same time nevertheless we're going to go into uh, sport and uh, when we come back we'll talk to uh, Dr. Trapido's guests and we're talking to a series of chefs looking also at um, food as a tool of reconciliation and uh, the project Chefs with Compassion a really exciting project as well she's here she's in the studio she's Zai <laughs> Here, there, and everywhere. 
SAFM 106.6 FM in Mangawung. 9.35, you are with SFM 104-107. Our guest is Dr. Anna Trapido. Anna, we played that uh, Robeson song a little earlier, and I immediately got a message from one of the elders in the country, that being my mother, to say, my dad had that record, and I had to wind up the record gramophone. So I want to know, did you also have to wind up the record gramophone? You know, we didn't have a copy. We just had my dad singing, singing it, it. <laughs> in the Morris Minor. So, as I say, I, I was quite surprised when I, I first heard the real tune. Um, but, um, yeah, that I am a mine of, of lyrics for that sort of song. A mine of lyrics, and now you get the tune as well. Yeah. Anna, before we go to your first guest, I just want to talk to you. Chefs with Compassion, talk to us mm. what this project is about. Okay, look, Chefs with Compassion is an organization that was started um, to cope with the the COVID crisis. So it's been in existence for just over a year now. Um, and it is exactly what it says on the tin, you know, that, mm. that it is people from the hospitality industry who are coming together um, to use their skills to meet the immediate needs um, of the kind of dramatic increase in hunger that's happened um, amongst the vulnerable that you know what I what I love about chefs with compassion is that it meets an immediate need and it's engaging with a, a longer-term issues around um, problems with the, the food system so it's actually also an organization that um, aims to reduce food waste so the you know these Beautiful, delicious meals made by skilled people. Um, because I think, you know, beautiful and delicious is, is, is important, you know, that, that human dignity and, and good food are, are integrally involved with each other. Um, that all of that food is made from rescued food. So it's thoroughly usable food that, that uh, might otherwise have gone to waste. Um, so, you know, it's yeah. carrots that aren't necessarily the prettiest or um, food that is approaching its sell-by date but, you know, has not reached such um, mm. that supermarkets would throw away. So it's about rescuing that food and putting it back into the system so that um, you can link the people that are currently going hunger with the food that is currently yeah. going to waste, you know, that, that, um, so I think that that's really clever that, that they're not just saying here's an immediate bowl of soup. They're saying we're actually changing things so that in the long run, the world will be a better, um, more sustainable place. So given the last week and the conversations around food security and the like, mm. is this something that chefs with compassion may in fact engage with further? Look, I think that what's become very clear is that, um, you know, what was originally thought might be a short-term solution to, you know, a short-term infectious disease has become Mm. a long-term project. And, you know, that that Chefs with Compassion have a, a... a project going today that people can still participate in, which is that they're trying to to make and deliver 67,000 litres of soup um, that 
you know, A, that's a good thing because, you know, hungry bellies will get soup today, but actually it's a fundraising and awareness issue um, mm. project so that, um, you know, you pay a hundred rand to be part of the project. You can do that through the, you go to cwc.org.za and then click on all the various things and you register to become a soup maker for today. Um, and, you know, that is their major fundraising drive for the year. Yeah. So, you know, that, that they have been feeding, you know, every day for over a year in the most vulnerable communities and using really skilled cooks and chefs. So, you know, these are good meals going to deserving people. Um, and this will allow it to go on. Fantastic. That website, once again, cwc.org.za, cwc.org.za. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll chat uh, with Anna and her first guest, Oliswa Ndoyia, who was Madiba's chef and is Anna's very good friend. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Our guest is Dr. Anna Trapido, and her guest is Koliswa Ndoyia. Koliswa, thank you so much for joining us. Morning, uh, Michelle, and thanks for having me. And uh, let's crack in. Anna, you, as you've said, Koliswa is uh, not only a co-author of a book with you, she's also been Madiba's chef, and thirdly, and this is probably the most important, your very good friend. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Katopimba. Anna, talk to us about this relationship. I'd love to hear from both of you. What is it that makes two chefs go, you know what, we can work together, we can do things? You know, I I met Koli when I was writing Hunger for Freedom. And, um, you know, so the intention was to do an interview with an interesting person and, um, you know, that there was no special sense that, that this would be an ongoing relationship. And I just loved her um, that, um, you know, that, that in addition to having this extraordinary life experience and having been Madiba's chef for 20 years and so much more than that, you know, kind of really part of a, a kind of core support network. Um, she's also, she's fascinating. She's an expert in the kind of core tastes and textures of, of food of the Eastern Cape that is an area that really interests me. And she's just, she's just lovely. You know, she's generous, insightful, kind, you know, that she and I, you know, that, that we've, we've done kind of, we've had good times and bad times and that we kind of, that we have this saying that just when the caterpillar thought it was all over, it became a butterfly. And the pair of us are, we're, we're longing to be butterflies. That at the moment, we quite often still feel like caterpillars, the pair of us, but um, we are aspirant butterflies together. <laughs> oh, look at these two aspirant butterflies. I love them. Uh, I mean, it's it's an extraordinary thing, and I'm sure people ask you this hundreds of times, but to have been a chef for Madiba, one wonders, what was the kind of food that really made him comfortable, happy? That that and, and perhaps, actually, let's just broaden that. What do you think the food is that makes many South Africans comfortable and happy? I suppose just food, just to have food is like what we really need to answer. But let's uh, let's take that further. Oh, 
Thanks, Michelle. Uh, you know, um, Michelle, if we start out, it was just a not uh, a very different thing or a difficult thing to, to, to prepare meals for him because you could know exactly what kind of food he grew up and he, he, he loved when he grew up as, as a young man. And I took it from that experience. And then my the meals that I know that he would share with people, it's uh, in certain things. He will run away from that. Certain things, simple as that, but it will go with an uh, oxygen stew. <laughs> My favorite, my favorite beans. Umgosh. Is is it? Yeah, yeah. he he will eat umgosh like in, uh, in a week, three times in a week, and then when you try to stop him, he will tell you, "No, this is what I want to eat." So this is one <laughs> of the things that I know he is feeling comfortable when he eats it, because he will tell you that it's got everything. If it's got beans and salt, it's got everything. I've got my proteins here. So this is what uh, I know that many people, when they come and, and eat and dine with him on his table, that is what they will go for as much as he was going for time and again. So, you know, you've, you've raised such an important point, and I think it goes back to, Anna, what you were talking about um, right up front in the interview, is this idea of how food ties uh, us to memories as children. So I can, whenever um, Christmas time comes, there's a certain Dutch cake that my mother always used to bake, and I always miss that kind of sugary cake, and and because it, it's so specific to a time, mm. you know, when we. It's were, your Madeleine moment. It's, it's what it's, takes you back to that space. Yeah, it's a Ooh. Madeleine moment. I want to know from both of you, what is your Madeleine moment? What are the, the what is the dish that says? I'm back home, I'm back in my childhood, I'm back in my safe space. Golisa. Yeah, Anna. I was just going to say, you know, I'm going to sound like such a pathetic daddy's girl, you know, that first it was daddy's song. And then I noticed that when I'm feeling miserable, you yeah. know, I do quite poncy cooking at home, you know, that I, I like to cook and I cook from all sorts of genres. But if I'm sort of feeling a bit fragile, what I do is just intuitively, I find that what I've done is make a, my dad used to make a sort of tomatoey soup um, that I find I've just sort of like done on autopilot. So, um yeah, that that I think more than than eat. It's 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 that I I cook into that comfort zone. Um, and and it's not a very exciting soup, but that, that tomato soup that my dad used to make is what I I go back to. And it takes you to a safe place, safe place, which is so much a food from home, which is exactly Ukutia Kwasikaya is about that food from home, home being exactly safe yeah. in childhood and that kind of thing. Uh, I want to ask you, Olisa, what's the meal that you would that you would go back to, given given yeah. the chance? Yeah, uh, Michelle, you know what? Uh, yes, you know, umpokoko. Uh, this is primary mm. meal that you cannot go away when you get home. This is what I wish to get it home and eat it when I'm at home, and I know that I won't get tired of it because I know when I eat it, I feel like I'm tired now. I want to sleep and it makes me comfortable. So that's the only meal that when I get home, I would like to go. But people, they just feel like I'm eating with such a simple meal, but this is what makes me comfortable when I get home. And it is so delicious. And actually, I think it is, you know, that, that childhood can give you a safe space, but that, you know, for me, Polis and Pococo is part of my grown-up safe space. You know, that that yeah. is, it is so delicious. And, you know, she is part of my safe space. And that dish for me um, is, is my grown-up safe space. That it is completely delicious. She's right. I want to change my mind. I want Polis. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about that soup. Sorry, yeah. Daddy. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. 
if I can just say about, about this Mpokoko and Michelle, if I can just say that this is one of the dishes that I used to get um, a, a look that is not happy from Madiba when I don't prepare it for him the way he wants me to prepare mm-hmm. it. And then he would just say, don't stop me when I want to eat the whole week. And he used to eat the whole week. Believe me when I say the whole week and I'll be trying to stop him to say no. And in some years coming, and then he just told me, after many years that I've been serving him, such meal, he just told me that he has honored his mother. It was about breakfast with meal, and then it's about a pub, and then it was about umpokoko. And he said, I've honored my mother enough, Tony. And then that to me, that told me a lot. It says a lot to me that all this time I've been serving him this meal, he was just honoring the mother that gave him this food as to be comfortable when he get home. So, you know... Um you talk about honouring mothers. I know that one of the questions that I was asking you um, that we wanted to talk to you about, and I'm wondering if both of you could address that, is this idea as food as a tool of reconciliation. I mean, it seems kind of, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm being tone deaf because in the last week we're looking at the fact that people don't have food. We're looking at some of the massive challenges and, and trauma of the last week, and a lot of it now is going to be about, as I said earlier, uh, food, security, safety for people with regards to having food. How do we look at food as a point of reconciliation and not a point of othering? You know, I think that partly one has to say, you know, Madiba, who is big on using food as a tool of reconciliation, and, you know, we all know the ways in which he uses food in the post-94 period to, to reassure white South Africans that he he values them and their culture by saying he values their food. So, you know, I mean, at its most extreme, it's going to Aranya to eat cook sisters with Mrs. Favut. But, you know, there's a whole lot of other cases in which he does that. That my worry about the food as reconciliation, and I, and I completely see that it's a valid political tool, is that... I'm not sure that it's ever gone both ways, you know, that Mm. that when have we engaged with food as reconciliation for the trauma of lost land? Because obviously Mm. land and food are associated, that there's not enough respect for African traditional food yet. And, you know, that that. So I think that there has been a a lot of reaching out one way and not necessarily enough reaching out from, you know, Eurocentric food cultures. Um, So, but yeah, that, that food... Food is not trivial, and food is not about necessarily fine dining meals. That food is everything. It's land. It's lack of food. It's hunger strikes. It's you know. So I don't think that it's it's distasteful to talk about food this week because actually food is is everything, and mm. our inequalities in in our current food situation tell us everything that we need to know about how far we still have to go. Goliswa, uh, we do have to go to a break, but when we come from, back from a break, very briefly, I'd like to hear from you, your comment on that particular topic. At SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. A powerful conversation about food that goes beyond so many spaces, also given the conversation of this week as well. Goliswa, I wonder if you could just um, comment on what we were talking about before the break. Thank you. Okay. Uh, you know, Michelle, and when you think about the concern with uh, food, and then you know you have people that are 
coming to come and comfort themselves amongst people. It just makes you feel that you are a person of because at, at many households, like I can just comment about my mother says, when I know my mother knows that he wants, she wants the family to be together. There were certain dishes that my mother would just prepare to know, knowing that each and everyone at home likes this meal and likes this. And then you see that every family member sits in because everyone is being accommodated from the, the, the dish that they, they like. And this is what was happening to my children when they asked my mother to make them meatballs and they would just run to them. And then you feel that everybody needs to know that the mother has done this. Hmm. And coming to the space where I have been, seeing that uh, 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 inviting people in his home and many times in, in going and in hurting, these are the people that are the dignitaries and everyone will come in business people. There's one thing that I knew and I was, I was, I was looking at it when he's doing it collectively because you tell us that I'm not doing this alone. I'm doing this collectively. When I call these people, I know when they sit down, I, they need to be fed by, by, by the people that I'm, I'm, uh, they're working and they're working with me. But at the same time, I am sitting down on the table and I'm asking them to do something for me. And I, and I do the, the people, they come and donate money. And then he will just not Good. know that people in the kitchen have made this food and they've made these people comfortable. And then yeah. now they are going to donate to make other children's people to go to school. So that was that as a way of making people, the business people, come to use dining table and make them feel that what you are doing, you are not doing it for me, you are doing it for many people. So food, in many ways, can just be on the table, but not just to, to feed people their summers, but to do something better into it. Koliso, we're going to have to leave you there. Koliso Ndoia, who is uh, the co-author of the book Ukutia Kwasikaya, uh, together with Dr. Anna Trapido. And we're going to crack right into the second guest. Anna, your second guest is Sia Kobo, who is a chef. And uh, tell us a little bit about that relationship. I just think she is fab. Um, <laughs> that, um, you know, I think first of all, just this is our great new African cuisine chef, you know, that, that he is such an exciting artist that his work is, he, he makes sort of innovative, authentic interpretations of classic South African tastes in a fine dining context. You know, this is a, a really kick-ass fine dining chef who works with closer tastes and textures um and you know so i think he is enormously exciting as an artist um i've watched over the last 18 months through the kind of covid crisis and the way that that has just decimated chefs you know sia is the most relentlessly cheerful person through the most difficult circumstances that it is astonishing how he has just kept going through the most difficult crisis. Um, he never looks backward. He never complains. He just looks forward. And the food is beautiful and inspiring. And, you know, this is our, our, our really our great South African chef. And I think he's much under-recognized as such. See, there's like huge applause there, pal. Yeah. Jeez, like, <laughs> do, do you feel like that, like you've just been sprayed with gold paint or something? <laughs> Oh, man. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you? And happy Nelson Mandela Day. Yeah, you uh, too, mister. You I, too. I am really, really honored uh, uh, to be part of this. Uh, Anna, 
you're my hero. Just <laughs> let me let, let me let me put it out there now on radio. Yeah, you really are my hero. I appreciate and uh, and uh, uh, the the way you put the words into the work that I do is amazing. It's like a, a match made in heaven. Oh, see ya. Yeah, well, man. I really love you too. Great. So, so this is going to become a mutual love fest. So we're going to move on now. Yes. And yes. I, see, I want to ask you. We do. We have little time. So, yes. Um, the community values of sharing of food. Um, you know, you talk about humble ingredients, and and what that means. I mean, it's interesting to use a word like humble, and if we look at community values, very briefly talk yes. to us about that. Okay, uh, this is Chef Sia from Coco Cuisine. We specialize in progressive African-style food. Uh, that is something that I'm very passionate about, which I feel it's uh, underrepresented and mm. it can grace any table in the world. And we are really refining it using the experience. And uh, right now, because of COVID and everything else like that, we do a lot of private dinners and people call us and uh, uh, we do that at the comfort of their own home. Now coming to the food itself, food is more than just food, as uh, Anna said earlier. You know, food is, is, is community. Food is, is who we are. Food is, is what brings us together. Food is what is one thing that when things don't go well that we tend to go into. So in the community space, if I take what I do in back, back into the context when we were uh, communities where if I've got pumpkin and uh, you have maize meal, we can do exchanges and live as a, fa- as a, as, as a family, even though it's in a community space. So food for me is very crucial. It's that one thing that really, really speaks to everybody without looking at the age, the color, and the, and the, and the background. So um, I have to ask you, Sia, we, we, uh, we are so short on time, but I want to yes. ask you, if um, you had to sit down with Anna yes. for a meal, yes. what would you make for her now? Today, okay. given given what we're feeling at the moment, the grief that we're all feeling, the anger that many people are feeling, and how we look at food as a point of of joining together. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for me and her, because I know her, I would make her my favorite dish that happens to be her favorite dish as well. I've got umvubo. Basically, umvubo is a uh, uh, pap, We call it umpogogo mm. and namasi. So I have to tell you, Bongi, who's our engineer, is like nodding her head. As you said, umvubo, Bongi yeah. went, yeah, bo. Like she could just, she was nodding that head. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But what we basically do with that umvubo is we live in a world where everything is important right now with the climate changes happening. So we basically utilize everything, even the bottom part of that that we cook, mm. we, re- we reboil it, we blitz it, we make it into a nice little wafer, we make cheese ball, we make whey jellies, we, you know, we just like really play around with that into a very fine dining context. Oh, if somebody ya. visits our Kobo Cuisine face- Facebook page, you will see all that kind of work that we're doing. But I would definitely make it. Oh, before we go, there's something interesting. Yeah. So now I made this meal for her at one stage. The first time she ate it, she said something that almost made me cry. It's like it's like a gift from the ancestors. <laughs> okay, we want that gift from the ancestors. It sounds absolutely delicious. Sia, thank you so much for joining us and for bringing us joy as well. Anna, we want to close, and I want to go back to something you said. You said that it's not an inappropriate for us to talk about food, given what's happened this week. It's not that we are being tone deaf. And you, you, you spoke about why we need to constantly have this conversation. Briefly remind us of that again. Uh, I think the 
about food is that food is everything and everywhere. That food tells about economics, you know, are you rich or poor? Food tells us about emotions. You can say, I love you with food. You can say, I hate you with food. That food tells you about culture, you know. Um, you know, Sia's food is so rooted in his cultural experience that food tells you about love and loss and land and, mm. you know, that... that Really, we before we can do anything else, it really is your kind of primal need. Um, food and oxygen are the two things that that you know we need before we can start anything else. And this has been the most complicated week um, mm. within the most complicated year, within the most complicated decade. But and I I do think that you know that that we need to start with ensuring the basic dignity of not being hungry um mm. and and then we need to recognize that food exists within a structure and that our structure is currently not just or, or mm. fair you know yeah. Um, Anna Trapido, Dr. Anna Trapido, thank you so much for joining us. Running a little late, but we're finishing off and just want to say thank you so much to our guests for a wonderful conversation. I think I might have said to some of my exes, I hate you with the food that I wasn't able to really make as well. Nevertheless, it's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.